was in Dallas, Texas when I was younger. Uh, you may have recognized the accent. Maybe not. Third, fourth, and fifth grade. While I was down there, I got involved in club soccer, which meant we traveled a fair amount. Most of the time just around the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but my parents would drive us all over the place. You know, whether it was Dallas-Fort Worth, whether it was Plano, whether it was Waco, we were always going somewhere. And if they couldn't take me, they stuck me in the car of somebody else on the team, and, and they drove. Now, as a third, fourth, and fifth grader, I, I thought I had a pretty good sense of direction. You know, I, I, for the most part, could always tell where we were going. Except one time, and I vividly remember it. It was a time I rode with another family on the soccer team, the Lopez family. They had this, they had this double, like, double cab truck, and myself and uh, the other guy on the team, David, sat in the back. And we rode to the game, we had the game, and, and we were driving home, and it was getting dark. And I remember looking outside and thinking, oh, I don't recognize this. Probably no big deal. I was going to pick up sooner or later. And 20 minutes later, so looked out again and didn't recognize it then either. And, and at that point, I started getting worried. You know, a little fourth grader's imagination. Is Mr. Lopez stealing me? Right? Am I, am I ever going to see my parents again? Well, of course, all the worry was to no avail. Mr. Lopez had just gone home a different way, and I got there fine. Maybe it's just me, but I don't like not knowing where we're going. Anybody else? I see a few heads nodding. Yeah, I see a hand raised. Yeah, I see that hand. I don't like not knowing where I'm going, and not just like in a car. I mean, maybe you felt some of this. Maybe you've got into a, a, a class at school, and, and the title of the class was one thing, but as soon as the professor started talking, and kept talking and kept talking, you realize you had no idea where that person was going, right? Maybe you got into a relationship that you thought was going to end one way, but it, it, you know, it took a different turn, and you're sitting there thinking, where in the world is this going? I don't know if it's cultural. Maybe, like I said, maybe it's just me. We like to know where we're going. We like to know where the ship is pointed. Why should we expect anything else when it comes to church? So often, we will join a church, we'll, we'll regularly go, and we'll go through the, the motions of every Sunday morning, and yet we won't know where God has called that specific body to go. Because God has called every church to a specific task for each season that it's in. And yet, maybe it's, it's more common than we'd, than we'd like to admit, but how often does, does that church say, hey, this is, this is the heading on our compass, this is the direction we're going. This is, this is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. First church, do you know where we are going in the next three years, five years? My hope is that this morning, by the end of our time, you will know that. Before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we have come before you uh, as a people this morning in worship already. We have laid our hearts before you. We have remembered what you told us to remember in the taking of, of bread and juice. We have worshiped in song and giving. And, and now, Father, we come before you to hear from your voice through your word. I ask, God, that you would give me clarity and the ability to speak in a way that those here would understand where we are going. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10, and uh, let's go on a trip together. 
Okay? Spokane's first free Methodist church. That's, that's what we are. Okay? Why do we exist? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? And what commitments, what values will guide us, will, will drive us? This is what we are trying to answer in our Discover Us series. Five weeks of trying to answer those questions. And, and we're not just trying to answer them so that we have these cool catchphrases we can say from the front. Or, you know, some things we can paint on our wall. We're trying to answer them so that when your friends start to do their research and, and, you know, the ones you've been inviting to church, when they say, what are you guys all about? What do you believe? Where, where are you going? We're doing this series so that you can answer this. Now, we're also doing this because in the last six months, year, year and a half, we've had regular guests just about every week. Some have stuck, some haven't, but we feel it only right and fair for you guys to know where we as a church are going where we are headed. So last week uh, in our Discover Us series, we talked about our purpose as a church. And that answered the question, why we exist. Does anybody remember what we talked about our purpose being? Oh, we, oh yeah, our youngest here, showing all you adults up. Why do we exist? Nailed it. Love God, love people, make disciples. That is why we exist. Of course, that is a combination of Jesus' great commission and his great command. It's why we exist. But where are we going? That's what our vision statement will answer. And just to clarify, before we jump in, you've heard this vision statement before. It won't be new to you today. But this is something that, uh, that our leadership has been working on, actually, that, that we feel God gave us back in February. And it gave us this phrase, and, and, then, and then we prayed over it, we fasted over it, we tweaked it, we retweaked it, and we came down to where every single word we think is important. Now, this vision is not First Church's vision for the next hundred years. We're thinking that God is giving us this vision for the next three, four, five years. And this is something that's measurable that when we can say, okay, we've done that, God's going to say, okay, good, I've got another direction for you to go. So that, that's, our, that's our vision. And are you ready for it? You, you've heard it before. But here is the vision that First Church's leadership believes God is calling us to go. We believe he wants us to be church for our neighbors. You've heard me say that before. He wants us to be church for our neighbors. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, be church? What, what, what does that look like? How do we do that? You, you may be thinking, who in the world is my neighbor? Well, the good thing is we're not the first person to ask questions like that. And, in fact, in Jesus' time, there was a guy who was asking that same question, those same types of questions, and Jesus took time to answer it. He answered it in Luke chapter 10 in a story that most of us are very familiar with. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. A teacher what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Well, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? There's that question. 
Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. He passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked this religious man who had initially asked the question. And that man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, for the longest time, I grew up being taught this, this story, this parable in a specific way, and yet this past week, I saw it slightly differently. Yes, this is a story that Jesus answers a question about who was my neighbor, but something else happened in this story. Did you see it? Something else happened. Church happened. Church happened. No, there, there was no person that stood up and welcomed and gave announcements, and then they didn't sing three songs, pass a plate, and then have chairs that face forward and listen to some guy talk for 30 minutes. There wasn't any of that. There wasn't a building, and there wasn't even coffee. There was not a tax write-off form that the, that the Samaritan man could get when he gave the innkeeper some money. None of that. But church still happened. The Samaritan man was church. Our vision as a church, as First Free Methodist Church, is to be church for our neighbors. So let's unpack that. And we'll go word for word because every word in here is important. Be. Be. This is an action word. It's something you do. It's something you are. It's, it's something that takes place in the middle of exactly what you are already doing. In our story, there's several characters. We know that one guy got beat up. And then two guys who we thought should have helped didn't help. And then there was this Samaritan guy. Now that morning when he got up and was brushing his teeth, do you think he thought to himself, hmm, if I see a wreck on the side of the road today, today I'm going to help. Do you think when he was watching the news and, and he saw that the alerts for a potential bandit attack were higher today, did he think to himself, well, if it happens when I'm going, Today will be the day to help. I won't just keep on driving by. Do you think he thought through who God would put in his path that day? No, to any of those. But in the middle of what he was doing, on his way to the next thing he was hoping to accomplish, right there with nobody to pat him on the back, he was something. I know this is bad English, but he be, right? He be action. He be. Be love. He be compassion. This is a fantastic word. Actually, one of my favorite words in the New Testament. Uh, you've heard me say this before. The Greek word for compassion literally means to have your innards move. 
Now, yeah, your innards, like your, your pipes, your mouths, all that good stuff. Okay? Most of you know this. Some of you are grinning, okay? When your innards are moving, you have to take action. <laughs> you cannot not move. It affects all of you. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say it louder. Amen. Jesus felt the same thing in Matthew chapter 9. Okay? Got out of the boat. He saw crowds that he said they look like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion. It means his whole being, his innards were moved for the crowd. Now this, this Samaritan man had the same thing happen. Did he get up in the morning and say, that's right, my, my, my innards are going to move today? No. No, nobody gets up and says that. If they do, they stay home from church, right? <laughs> Somebody else wants to say amen too. They're just too scared to say it. <laughs> this, is, this is something that we should be all the time. Okay? Last week when we looked at the Great Commission, uh, we saw that Jesus said, as you go, Make disciples. Actually, go and make disciples, right? But literally that's translated as you are going, make disciples. In the middle of whatever you're doing, be making disciples. This is the same idea that we're trying to get when we use the word be. This is not a switch you can turn on or off. It's not something that, okay, I'm going to discipleship class, so I'm, I'm going to be somebody. And then you leave and, and you be somebody else. It's not like that. No, be is an action word. And being a follower of Christ is not a spectator sport. It's not something that you can do while just sitting in chairs on a Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11. Being a follower of Christ, a, a take up my cross and follow him, takes every part of you and it affects every part of you. So that's why our leadership said, we're going to start with the word be. Be. But be what? Well, be church, our vision statement continues. Be church. Somebody here is probably thinking, but pastor, how can we be a building? Well, this is not church. 1725 West Cortland is a, it's a structure, a location, a building where the church meets. If you're confused, let me try and clarify. There's an old hymn that some of you will remember whose first verse says this. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. It goes on to say, I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus around the world, yes, we are the church together. The Apostle Paul was trying to clarify this when he wrote to several different gathered communities of faith. When he wrote the church in Colossae, he said this in chapter 1, verse 18 of Colossians. He said, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. And when he wrote to the church that met in Corinth, the gathered community of believers there, he said, all of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is part of it. To the gathered community in Ephesus, he said this in chapter 2, verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. God is calling us to be church. So what does that look like? Well, perhaps it looks like the Samaritan man. 
who was willing to drop everything and care for somebody else. Who was willing not just to give a quarter out of the window on his drive by, but who was, who was willing to truly care for someone. To have some sort of physical touch, to, to soothe and comfort wounds. Whether those wounds are emotional or physical or spiritual, this guy was willing to sacrifice. And we should be to our own comforts, our own agenda, our own finances. We should be willing to completely go above and beyond our own needs to put somebody else's needs first. That's what being church looks like. Being church looks a lot like what took place in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's what church looks like. Now, can all that take place from 9.30 to 11 on a Sunday morning? No. It takes place in, in life together. That's all part of one big, crazy, messy, unpredictable, beautiful life together. Now, when you share stuff, when you meet together in homes, when you eat together, when more than one person studies the Bible together, this can be beautiful, but it can be extremely challenging as well. And only a portion of it happens on a Sunday morning. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, I can be church. You may even be looking around in here thinking, most of these people look normal. I'd have them into my house. I'd even let a few of them use my lawnmower. Well, if you're thinking that, I applaud you. Okay, your, your graciousness, your risk. But let me tell you this, this is not it. Over the last decade, we've been really, really good at being church in here. Really good. But this is not all God has called us to. God wants more from us. And that's why our leadership says that there's another part to this vision statement. It's not just be church. It doesn't end there. It's be church for. Be church for our neighbors. For. That changes things. That changes things, doesn't it? I mean, for, though only three letters, is probably the biggest word in that vision statement. Four was the split-second decision that the two first guys in our story had to make. They saw the guy in the ditch, and they thought, four? For me. I'm going to stay pure and holy by separation. Hmm. Four was the split-second decision that the Samaritan man made when he realized there's somebody over there, and he moved. Four. Now, we know that Jesus came for something. Numerous times he said what he came for. Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For I came to seek and to save the lost, he said. He said he came for those who recognized their need for a doctor. Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. I think we have it on the screen. If not, we can read it from the wall out there. Jesus says, I've come to save those not who think they're good enough, but those who realize that they are sick. 
Jesus came for a purpose. He came to include others into his sheepfold, into his pasture. He came to bring people who do not and did not know that there was a God of mercy and forgiveness and grace. He came to introduce them to him. He came to, to, to bring people who were not right with God into a relationship where they were right with God. First church, that was every single one of us. But now most of us know this. Most of us believe this. But as Jason referenced earlier, there are people out there who do not know that Jesus came for them. And we're called to be church for them. So what does that look like? What does that change? I mean, is that going to force us to, to look at how we do things on a Sunday morning? Are we going to have to get past, you know, well, we think this week and actually look at what would draw others into the building? Are we going to have to look at how much time we spend in our own Christian bubbles, maybe in our, in our classes and in our small groups, and are, and are we going to have to think through the, the lens of is what I'm doing, is the group I'm part of attractive to people who don't know Jesus? Is that going to have to be our filter, our gauge, is whether or not the things we are doing is drawing people who don't know Jesus closer to Jesus? Being church for other people, this is hard work. Hard work. It's uncomfortable work. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to happen more than just 10 weeks of summer grilling and chilling back in 2017. Oh, that was a good summer. Being committed to be church for something is a commitment to the long haul. The long haul. If I can speak candidly, as a church leadership, we don't know every single step of what it's going to look like to be church for them. This last Tuesday night at a, at a board meeting, at a, at a pastor's cabinet meeting, we had this phenomenal time, over an hour of prayer and worship. And one of the main questions that we were crying out to God for was, God, what does it look like for us to be church for our neighbors? We don't have it all figured out, but what we do know is this. We're not going to start with programs. We're going to start with people. We're not going to start with programs. We're going to start with people. And that's why our leadership, through the inspiration of God himself, said our vision needs to be to be church for our neighbors. To be church for our neighbors. Who's that? Right? Who's our neighbors? Didn't the guy in our story ask that? Well, Jesus answered it. This week he answered it differently for me than I think he normally does. Normally we think the neighbor is the Samaritan. I don't know if that's the case today. Luke 10, 34, it says, going over to him. The Samaritan man went over to the person I think Jesus is calling a neighbor. And I think that person is whoever God puts in our way. Whoever God makes cross our path. Whoever God nudges and says, hey, here's the one. This is the guy I want you to be your neighbor to today. I know it's a slight twist of the normal story where the Samaritan was the neighbor. But what if that's what Jesus was saying to us? Hey, your neighbor, First Church, is going to be whoever I put in your path today. Whoever's on your road today. So who's First Church's neighbor well, is it everybody within a one-block radius? Is it everybody in a three-block radius? I mean, they're on our road. Is it everybody in a ten-block radius? Yeah, I would say that. 
I would definitely say that. And I believe that someday I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, James, what did Spokane's first free Methodist church do to point our neighbors on the corner of Ash Place and Liberty towards him? He's going to ask me, James, what did Spokane's first free Methodist church do to, to, to point the people 18 houses down on Cortland? Because that was your road. What did, he, what did you guys do to point them towards me? Man, I hope to be able to say someday, God, we did everything we could to love them well and to point them towards you. I commute here, as do 99.6 of you also, so I can't do this alone. We need you to help in reaching this neighborhood. So will you join me? That's not the final question. I'm going to keep going, okay? Join me in that. So that's our neighbor. But there's more, because notice our vision statement did not say to be church for our neighbors around the building. It said to be church for our neighbors. For our neighbors. That means my neighbors, your neighbors. Who is that? Well, it might be whoever your geographical neighbor is. Out in Liberty Lake, it's the Scully's neighbor. Out in Cheney, it's the Worth's neighbor. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. Out in Deer Park, it's Carly's neighbor. Okay? Or it could be the person at the, sitting at the desk next to you in school. Or the person who's in the cubicle next to you at work. It could be the grandparents who brought their kids to the soccer game and your kids are playing. They're sitting right next to you. That could be your neighbor. It could be your neighbor if you're a creature of habit. The person at, the, at Safeway, the same checkout line, because you go grocery shopping every Tuesday night, you go through the same line. Maybe that's just me. Okay? That is your neighbor. Maybe your family is your neighbor and they don't live here in town. Maybe your neighbor is Facebook friends across the globe. You get what I'm saying? Your neighbor is whoever God puts in front of you, whoever he causes to cross your path. And that means our neighbors expands so much more than just a one-block radius around the building. God is calling us to be church for our neighbors. And this is a monumental task. This is an overwhelming task. So where do we even begin? How about this? Practical application. One person. Today, one person. Who is that one person who you are going to be church to? Who's that one person you're going you're gonna to treat like the Samaritan in our story in Luke 10? Who's that one person you're going to treat like Acts chapter 2 and you're going to invite them into your home? You're going to have a conversation with them. Who, who is that one person going to be? What would happen if we took this challenge seriously? And I'm talking to myself also. What would happen if each of us in here found that one person and we were church to them today? Found that one person and we were church to them tomorrow and the next day. You, know, you want to know what would happen? We'd have twice as many people as we do right now in here on a Sunday morning. And I'm not about numbers, but we'd have twice as many because you'd look around and you'd see everybody that was already here and you'd see another 50 people of neighbors of people who cross your path and you'd see another 50 people of people who walk to church because we were church in our neighborhood. That's what would happen. We would fulfill the vision God has given us as a church if each day we said, who is that one person who God has put before us? Wouldn't that be fantastic? We would change, not just this, this neighborhood, but this town. In our story, Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan man. 
And at the end of it, he says to the, to, the, to the religious leader who asked the question, he said, which of these three guys acted like a neighbor? And of course, the religious, uh, the religious man was smart. He said the one that showed mercy, and Jesus said, okay, go and do the same. What if Jesus asked us a slight variation of that same question? What if he said, okay, First church, who meets on the corner of 1725 West Cortland. Which person in the story was church for the neighbor in his path? Well, we would know to answer Jesus. It was the one who cared for, who loved, who touched, who sacrificed. It was the one who acted like you, Jesus, to the person you put in front of him. You want to know what I think Jesus would say? I think he would smile and say, yes. Now go and do the same. Go and do the same. Go and be church for our neighbors. Are we going to listen? One person today. One person tomorrow. One person the next day. Let's pray. Jesus, when you first gave this vision to our leadership, I think we realized that this was way bigger than we could possibly wrap our minds around. Here's the joyful thing, Lord. You are way bigger than we can possibly wrap our minds around also. And if you are asking us to be church in all the fullest meanings of what that means, if you're asking us to be church for our neighbors, then we are going to take that step of faith and we're going to look for that one person today who you're calling us to be church to, to be church for, to be church with. And God, if you so choose to give us a tomorrow, we're going to do that same thing tomorrow and look for that one person who you are putting in our path. God, will you give us eyes to see so that we can fulfill this vision that you are giving us. When it happens, when we can look around and say, God, we've fulfilled it, we will give you the glory, all of it, because it will have been evidence of your hand moving and your spirit working. So we look forward to that day. But until that day comes, we look forward to today and seeing who you're going to put in front of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.